Lord, just thank you for all that you're doing in us, through us, in the church. It's our privilege to be in the middle of it all, Father God. But Lord, I want to declare over your church again, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. We need to change our minds where we've seen everyone else have their turn. Now it's your turn. Can you shift it? So Lord God, we embrace that thought process. And it's my expectation, Father God, that we'd have stories of your goodness all across our church. For anyone who's gone on this series, for anyone who's listening, they'll have a good report that actually I've had a turn. Something good's happening. Something amazing's gone through. Doors are opening. I'm having a different experience. Something changed through this series. And I declare it over all of the church. And everyone said, Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, It's your turn. Do you know what? We have to keep saying this stuff. You know, anyone who's teachers out there, don't they reckon that you have to say something six or seven or eight times before it actually sinks in and you have to say it two or three different ways. So if you listen to the messages, there's a, there's a thread all the way through it. But we have to keep saying it and I have to keep saying it's your turn because otherwise you walk away and you go, well, what, 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 what went on there then? But what you'll remember is, oh yeah, it's my turn, it's my turn. Do you know why? Because Pastor Barry said it about five million times. But it's your turn and I want to shift something in you. We've based the series on John 5 and 1 through 9. I find this kind of stuff helpful, preaching it, because when you preach a series for six weeks, I will never forget what John 5, 1 to 9 says, because I've said it every week for six weeks. And it just sticks in you. And I'm not going to read it again because we've already read it five times and but the gist of it is this there's this guy who's lame who's who's around a pool um, in Bethesda uh, and every so often an angel comes and stirs the pool in Bethesda and the lame people and the sick people and disabled people hang around that and if the water is moving and they get in they get a miraculous healing and so this guy has been sat there for 38 years unable to get up And so he sees the water stir and he sees other people get up and get in the water and become miraculously healed. But it's never his turn because he physically can't get there. How frustrating. But what God said to me, and I think we can all relate to it, is that you may not be physically unable to, to get up. But there's things in your life where you're watching other people have their turn about your dream. But you're just something is stopping you from getting there. And God has said, come on. I want to see a different mindset on it. I want to see faith stirred. I want to see something change because it's your turn. Heaven's saying it's your turn, but we need to partner with heaven and agree. And that takes some action. So we're looking through this whole process. And what happens here is that Jesus rocks up onto the situation. The lame guy has been sat there 38 years. There are people in this room that aren't 38 years old. And he's been sat there longer than you've been alive. Frustrated. Incapacitated, stuck. He's lame. He can't get on with it. And Jesus comes onto the scene and engages with this lame guy in the same way church is engaging with you right now. Jesus in heaven is engaging with you right now if you let him. And he's saying to you, Do you want to get well? He's saying to you, It's your turn, but do you want it to be your turn? He had the same conversation with the lame guy. And what did the lame guy do? He said, Well, you know, I've been sat here a long time and, and I can't do it and I can't get up and I can't and I can't and I can't. Do you know what Jesus did? He didn't entertain the conversation. He's not interested in your history and your, your can'ts. Jesus came to bring powerful change. He said, Yeah, yeah, I get all that, but do you want to get well? Because Jesus enters the scene and is entering your scene right now with the ability and power to make it change. But we need to engage with that. Here's what happens. Look, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it says this, a very powerful uh, verse. 
the weapons we, the church, the weapons the church fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. See, what's happening here is Jesus has turned up on the scene and this lame guy has been seeing life the same way for 38 years. He's been having the same experience for 38 years. He's been thinking about it for 38 years. So long so, it's become who he is. It's a stronghold in his life. It's got him. He can't see it any other way. But Jesus comes in knowing there's another way. And he steps in, he says, I don't want to talk about your history. I want to tell you about your future. And he says, do you want to get well? And he's like, well, of course I want to get well. And he says, okay, we'll stand up. See, what Jesus does in an instant is destroys the stronghold. He destroys the stronghold. He looks at the guy in the eye and says, get your eyes off everything that's happened around you and look at me. And when you look in the eyes of Jesus, Jesus has the ability to tear down everything that's got you in this position in the first place so that you have the ability to stand up and walk out. And you, we know the stronghold was demolished because why? The guy actually tried. I don't know what it is you need to do to shift your situation, but you're going to have to actually try. You see, the guy sat there lame. Picture it. This isn't some mythical tale. This happened. Jesus is standing in front of him, representing the Father, fully heaven yet fully man, everything in him, able to tear down strongholds. He looks at him and says, get up. Now, if the stronghold still existed, he wouldn't have even tried to get up because he couldn't have seen it a different way. What's the point of me trying that? How stupid. Leave it, Jesus. But no, 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 that's not what he does. He looks in the eyes of Jesus, who has the ability and power to tear down the stronghold. The stronghold is torn down. Now he can see it a different way. Okay, I'm going to try then. Can you imagine it? Can you even imagine? 38 years he's been sat there. I can only, you know, just by, by science and biology, his legs must have withered. He hasn't used those muscles for 38 years. You know, I'm a gym guy. If I don't go for two weeks, I know it's the difference. Here's this guy. And he goes like this. Can you imagine the faith? Oh, oh, can you imagine the faith? Oh, oh I don't know what he walked like, but I'm sure it wasn't like this. It was probably more like this. But you know what? He was moving. Strongholds were being demolished because something was going on because he looked at Jesus, who has the ability to tear it down, and he responded. But he had to respond. It's not about looking at it, knowing about it and reading it. It's about doing something with it. And church, we need to be people who break the strongholds in our life by doing something. The question is a question of faith. Do you believe Jesus is powerful enough to tear down the stronghold in your life? And I believe you've got one. I don't know what that looks like for you, but we've been living long enough and bound enough for too long to know something's holding us back. All of us. Here's the great thing. Today, as the church... We carry that same mantle. We have the ability to tear down strongholds. Yeah. We carry that. We, when Jesus went to heaven, he said, you're going to do greater things than me. I'm going to send you the spirit and you're going to do greater things than me. Jesus started something that we're called to finish. Yeah. And so if we can get onto the page and think like Jesus thinks and sees like Jesus sees, we actually have the power like Jesus had to step into people's life and say, I can see you're stuck. But you know what? If you'll let me, I can help you. And all we need to do is point them to Jesus. Because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's always about him. If you 
If you just look to Jesus, if you just allow me to pray for you and point you to Jesus, things will change. And we're going to see amazing, amazing things coming up. It's time that we changed our thought process and then we will change our language. Who knows what comes out of your mouth starts as a thought. You see, what happens with this guy, he's speaking to Jesus and he says, you know, do you want to get well? And what's the first thing? He, can't, he hasn't changed his thinking. Well, I can't get there. So what comes out of his mouth is based on his thinking. So we need to stop saying, look what's happened to me and start saying, look what God is doing in my life. Because we've all got a history. We've all got stuff that's happened to me. If there is a person in this room that's never had something bad happen to him, to him you've probably not lived yet. Stuff happens. We're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. We get bashed about by the world, and it can affect us. But the trouble is, we allow ourselves too easily to start looking at what's happening to us, and it gets our eyes off of Jesus. So we need church to get our eyes fully on Jesus, and then as our thoughts change, our language will change. And when your language changes, is it's pivotal to what will happen in your life. If you're poor, financially poor, and some people might be, if you're there long enough, you'll start saying, I can't afford it. And when you start saying you can't afford it, do you know what happens in your life? You can't afford it. But if you start saying, okay, I don't have enough yet, but God's going to provide for me. What you're doing is you're changing your thought. You're not denying the situation in some weird way, but you're getting your mind on Christ. And he says he has more than enough. And so you say, okay, right this second, I don't have the money for that. But I'm not going to say I can't afford it. I'm going to say my God will provide. And as you start speaking out that, do you know what happens? God provides. And so you shouldn't be held back, but it's something about where your focus is, where your thought process is, and what's coming out of your mouth. It makes a huge difference to your experience. Are you with me? Turn to three people and say, change your language. The question I want to ask is, is there a faith shout in your language? Not denying where you're at, but actually the experience of heaven's different for that, and I'm going to start speaking it out. It's a faith shout that's coming out of me, and it will change some stuff. So what are you going to give your thought life to? You see, because your mind of fear, what if? What if it doesn't go right? What if this happens to me? What if so-and-so leaves me? What if I don't get the job? What if I don't get... Your mind of fear will never produce a life of faith. It can't work that way. We have to change. When we keep focusing on our own weakness and our own situation, it's really hard to accept God's strength. But when we focus on God's strength, everything changes. But can you see how it's easy for me to say this in a moment in church on a Sunday, but we've lived like this for so long, it's become a stronghold in our life. And we need to change it and break it, because I am desperate to see a story come out of your life. I don't know what it is you're believing for, but you can have it. But we need to go on a journey and shift something. We keep saying, why, God? Why am I stuck? Come to church for years given your money, I've prayed the prayers. Why am I stuck? Why has this happened to me? Why am I incapacitated? And do you know what? Jesus demonstrated how the Father's going to respond. He's not going to answer your why. He's not interested in what's happened. He is going to respond with the solution to your situation and to give you the tools for a great future. See, it's not about going back and putting all that right. That's done. It's about taking a hold of it, learning from the past, and moving forward into a better future with the faith of God. You can look at that in 10 years' time. Imagine, just can you even start thinking? Imagine if you actually get what you hope for. In 10 years' time, you will not be talking about what happened 20 years ago. 
You'll be talking about the goodness of my God. But there has to be a moment in time when you change your thought process and your language. The moment in time for the lame guy was when he encountered Jesus. Well, that same Jesus is here this morning. Will you encounter him? Would it be a moment for you to change your thought process and your language so that your life declares something different of heaven? Gideon, very famous character biblically, had a similar situation. Uh, the Israelite people were getting slaughtered. They were under attack. They were losing. Gideon, in the midst of all this, went and hid. He went and hid in a wine press and he was keeping himself to himself and he was, didn't know what was going on. But then God sends an angel to have a conversation with him. And it goes something like this here in Judges 6, verses 13 through 16. The angel has said, stand up, mighty man. And he says, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why are we getting slaughtered? Why, if you're thou God, why is this happening? Anyone relate to that stuff? I'm a Christian. Why is this happening? Here he is. This is the situation. Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, did he answer his why? Did he say, Gideon, well, do you know what? To be fair to you, it's been a bit tough, hasn't it? Oh, I hope you can understand me right now because oh, I had a little bit of a howler there, didn't I? No. He dismisses, shut your why flipping wise up <laughs> forget your wise not interested in your wise go in strength you have um, go in the strength you have and save israel out of midian's hand am i not sending you you see he talks about solution he talks about a better future he talks about the great things gideon's going to do he's not interested in his whining about the past there has to be a moment in your life, and for you it could be this morning, where you draw a line and say, I'm not moaning about my past now, I've got a good future. Or you can keep moaning about your why, 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 and you'll still be sat there in a year's time. God is looking to partner with his church. I have the ability, I have the power, I have the authority, I have the mindset, I have everything you need, but I need you to agree with me. And all the while you're looking at the past, and all the while you're looking at the whys, and all the while you're frustrated, how can you ever step to the future? And here's Gideon. Why? Was that all of it? Pardon, my, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, There, there, I know you're struggling. I know it's difficult for you. I know you haven't got much going for you. Did he say that? He's not interested. He says, I will be with you. And you strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. This is what your future looks like. Here is Gideon saying, why did you do that? God didn't address the why. He told him about his future. Gideon said, but look at me. How can I do anything? I come from the weakest, meanest little clan in the whole of Israel. And I'm the least of all the clan. I'm like a little mouse. How can I beat these people? I'm rubbish. How many people, even in the church, actually, if we're going to lay our cards on the table, think we're a bit rubbish? What on earth could God do through me? I'm a little mouse in the church. None of you is a mouse in the church. Every single one of you has a roar on the inside if you'd let it out. We serve the lion of the tribe of Judah and he lives in you. You are not a mouse. But here's the thing. For you, God says, I go with you. 
Imagine just for a second that it wasn't you about to take on the next step. It wasn't you about to push the door. It wasn't you about to ask the question. It wasn't you trying to believe for something, but it was God himself. Would God win? God would win. The reality is God is with you. The reason we don't push the door, ask the question, take the next step is because we've got this mindset that, what well, if it doesn't happen, I'm just a mouse. All my history has never worked out for me. But God is saying, stop that. I'm not even going to address it. Amen. Think like I think. Take a step. I'm with you. You've just acknowledged, all of you said, yes, if it was God. Well, God's with you. So take the step. Ask the question. Push the door. Pray the prayer. Do the thing, somebody. Because you're going to have a story to tell. I don't know what it is in your world that you want to change, but it's your turn. But you've got to take your turn. You've got to stop looking back and going, come on. No namby-pamby Christians in this church. I'll have to slap a few people. Send the big guns in. This is what I love about my father. This is what I love about my father. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, it's okay for you, Barry. You're a pastor and you're, you're on it all the time. And you live a, you know, oh, oh, I come to church once a week. No, oh, 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 not very good. Well, do you know what? God wants to love you into wholeness. He's not a harsh God. And he takes Gideon on this little journey. So put yourself in Gideon's shoes. You're frightened. You're losing. You're looking, why is God doing all this? You're stuck in a wine press. You're hiding away. First of all, an angel's turned up. For me, that stirs my faith. So now he doesn't just think, angel's here, this is a powerful thing. Oh, no, no, no. He starts asking the the angel questions. Why, why, why? Me, 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 I'm little. It's an angel for crying out loud. But this is how we respond. I wonder if heaven's up there looking at you in your situation going, I'm speaking to, it's me speaking to you. And you're like... "Mm." Come on, church, let me stir you. It's your turn, but you've got to grab it. But the great thing is we're in this together. So I don't know, maybe you could partner with someone saying, what is it you're believing for? Because I'm going to stand with you. And we're going to go shoulder to shoulder and we're walking this together. Have, have some accountability so you press in. This is what happens in Judges 6, just further down the passage, verse 36 to 40. It says this, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised... Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. So out where, where the, the wine is. If, this is. if there if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. So here he is saying, okay, I've got an angel talking to me. I feel a bit rubbish about myself and my history is terrible. But maybe if I just, just want to check out this is actually God. So he puts a fleece out there, you know, some sheep's wool. Puts it out there and he says, if the sheep's wool's wet, but all the ground's, the ground's dry, I will know it's you. Because that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? And that is what happened. Gideon rose up the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, that was cool. And I, and I get that. But don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. I've seen an angel. You've spoken into my life. You've done a miracle. But just one more thing, just so I can be sure anyone relate to that. (laughs) Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry. (laughs) And let the ground be wet. 
Just throwing it out there. See if this is really good. Is that it? No. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. He did it. What I love about this is we see the Father's heart. You see, God has said, forget the past, forget the history, forget how you feel about yourself. I've chosen you. Get up and I'm going to do something through you. How are you going to do it? Because I'm going to be with you. But in that moment, even when he's talking to an angel, he's still like, his mind's not there. Oh, is this really God? And so he gives God two tests. Do you know what? God didn't say, you silly idiot. <laughs> he did it. He showed himself. Isn't that the heart of a loving father? That says, okay, I'll go on a journey with you. So put that to today. I don't know what your dream is. I don't know what the next thing is for you, what you're hoping for. I don't know when I say it's your turn, where does your head go? What do you want your turn to look like? Maybe for you, you're thinking, wow, that would take a lot of faith. That's okay. Because God will say, I'll go on a journey. Let me prove myself to you. Maybe don't stick some fleece out in the garden. <laughs> but go for it if you want to. But I don't know what it is for you, but I know this. Our God is love. And in the midst of your wrestle with all of this process, he won't rush you, but he won't change his mind. And he'll say, I'll go on a journey. Well, is it, well, how can I show you? How can I encourage you? How can I stir your faith? How can I enable you to be the one who stands up and actually takes something on? How can it happen? The story goes on that, that Gideon goes on to win and he saves Israel. The smallest person with the bad history who, who was low in faith and saw him says, he did an amazing thing. I want to say that could be you. Exactly the same story. You might look at yourself and say, what, what on earth? How could it be me? Uh, you know, I like to bring in you know, faith stories around us. And I started thinking about the journey of this church. We're in our 15th year. And uh, 17 years ago, I was in a, a Hillsong church in London. And there was a big moment in the worship and the band were going off and a big shout of praise. And in that moment, God said to me, Barry, Colchester needs a church like this and I want you to do it. My mind could have gone to a million places. Who am I? I'm just a little mouse. <laughs> Hide in my hole. Do you know, it took me two years to even start asking people questions. What do you think? I feel like God said this to me. And people say, oh, totally, I can see you doing that. Yeah, we'd stand with you. Uh, and we launched the church. And do you know what? I had every reason to say no. We had a 10-month-old Joshua. I don't know if he's in the room still, but we had, he was 10 months. Anyone who's got a baby who's one and under, would you start a church? And the survey said, uh-uh. <laughs> Stupid idea. It's really hard work bringing up a baby. So God says start a church. Could have said no. That would have been the wise thing. That would have been the mindful thing in terms of our world, but that's not what God was saying. We had no people, we had no venue, we had no building, we had no money, we had limited experience. It's hilarious. And God said, I want it to be you. But you know what I did? I just said yes. I just said yes. You know, I could have looked at all my own weaknesses, but I chose to look at God's strength. I could have just said, what on earth? But you know what? God in his word says, I will build my church. But you know what he's looking for? He's looking to partner with humanity. I will build my church, but I am looking for willing people who refuse to look at all the reasons why not and start to look at the reasons why God could. And when we start agreeing with why God could, miracles happen. When we start agreeing with what God says, amazing stuff happens. And I look now. I look now, you know, end of May, beginning of June, this, every seat was sat on, literally every seat was sat on here. 
you know, we're currently looking for another venue. It's my dream, and I pray your dream with me that we could buy somewhere. We started off with no money, no people, no nothing, and no experience, but we're now looking for a million-pound building. That's God. Fifteen years ago, if God said to me, you're going to buy a million-pound building, I'd be going, what on earth? But you know what? He takes you on a journey. You know, we've seen multiple people meet Jesus for the first time. We've seen people get healed and miraculous stuff happen. We've funded mission all over the world. We've just grown and created platforms for people to function in their ministry. We've loved this town and funded mission in this town. We've done amazing, amazing things as a church. Do you know why? Because we chose to believe God could do it through simple people like us. And do you know what? This is a new starting point for us. What could God do in the next season with this crowd of people just saying yes? We had no one back then. and Look what we've got now. How are we going to celebrate when we walk into our million-pound building? And you know what? Church isn't about buildings, but you need somewhere to function from. And so we function in this place and we reach out of a side of ourselves. How could cultures to be changed by a bunch of faithful people like you who don't look at yourselves and your history and all the reasons why not and start looking at why God could? I want to see a church like that, and I believe we are a church like that, but sometimes we just need a bit of a stirring. God is up to something. He hasn't, he hasn't called those who have it all. He doesn't call the person, you know, not everyone's got the, the, the most amazing Christian walk in their life. You look around yourself and you think, who am I in all this? He's not interested. He is looking for people who will surrender all. And say, Lord, this is who I am. You know my history. You know my intelligence level. You know my ministry capacity. You know my current situation. But what I have, I give to you. When we get a church doing that, wow. Would you join in? Would you take a step of faith to say, I've lived here, but I'm joining in with what God's doing. And we're going to see a different result out of it. We've done amazingly, amazingly well. In fact, I want you all to give yourselves a round of applause because you're an amazing church. But better is coming. More is coming. Why? Because we're going to take a next step. We're going to change our mindset. We're going to see, actually, God's chosen me. People might think I'm a right numpty, but God doesn't think I'm a numpty. I'm going to stand up and do what I'm asked to do, and I'll see the results. Gideon thought he had no chance, but he won. Why? God was with him. Equipus Essex, God is with you. We're going to do some stuff. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. It's the very next verse from the other one. We demolish arguments... So it starts off with tearing down strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the moment we think we can't do it, is that a God thought or not a God thought? And if it's not a God thought, we take it captive and we say, we're giving that to Jesus. I'm only thinking the Jesus thoughts. So the moment we say we could never achieve that as a church, the moment you say we could never do this in our family, the moment you say my career could never go that way, the moment you say we could never get married or have children, the moment you say whatever it is, the moment you say you couldn't do, you take it captive. No! I'm not letting my head go there because it pulls me backwards. I'm taking it captive and I'm giving it to Jesus. And I look at you, Jesus, and say, I'm going to start thinking like you because all things are possible with you. That will come on the screen, I believe. All things are possible with you. Matthew 19, 26. Sorry, Mary, I'm throwing you all over the gap, but you'll find it. Are you with me, church? I feel like, I feel like I'm hoping you're going to get as excited as I am. But this isn't about a nice message on a Sunday. This isn't about a nice series of preaching that tickles you a little bit and goes, oh, that was good, I feel a little bit stirred. This is about lives changed. 
I want to see people living and experiencing differently because we've listened to the messages, thought about the messages, prayed into the messages, and applied the messages and do it together. Amazing things can happen. Through this same kind of thought process, let's have a look at Peter. I want to show you this passage where Peter walks on water. Many of you will know it. Matthew 14, verses 25 through 29. It says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Picture the scene. There you are on the boat. Jesus has a little stroll on the lake. Their first reaction is a human reaction to do with their thought process. It's a ghost. I am scared. Why is that always our first port of call? Why couldn't it be our first point of call of, it's Jesus. I know my Jesus. I recognize him doing doing what Jesus does. Weird and wonderful stuff. But they go straight to this place. And Jesus steps in. says, calm yourself. It's, It's me. All 12 of the disciples are in the same boat. They're all in the same situation. It's a phrase we use today, isn't it? Oh, we're all in the same boat. They were literally in the same boat. (laughs) And Jesus is walking on the water doing something outrageous. They all had the same opportunity. Eleven of the disciples chose to stay in their comfort zone, to stay safe, to sit at the back and watch how it unfolds. Peter looked at the eyes of Jesus and stopped looking at the circumstances. He stopped looking at the water, he stopped looking at the storm, he stopped looking at the boat, he stopped looking at the other disciples. He looked at Jesus and said, if that's really you, let me do what you're doing. Let me do what you're doing. And Jesus said, go for it. Today, in your circumstance, look at Jesus and pray that prayer. Let me do what you're doing. Because you know what Jesus' answer is going to be? Come on in. He's not going to say no. He loves his church being stirred with faith. He says, come. And he gets out of the water. Let me do what you're doing. It's the same Jesus we worship today. Uh, I don't know what your comfort zone is, but you've all got comfort zones. Every single one of us have comfort zones. And there can be seasons where it's nice to live in that place. But you're not going to allow it to be your turn if you stay there. Enjoy a moment, a season in a comfort zone. That's cool. There are seasons in life and ups and downs in life and all the rest of it. But in this season, God is challenging you as an individual to step out of your comfort zone and into something new. And you will have a story out of it. What is your norm? Well, get out of your norm because the 12 disciples all had a norm. Normal people stay in the boat. But Peter said, I don't want to stay in the normal. I want to do what Jesus is doing. When we start doing what Jesus is doing, it's going to be outrageous. When we can stop our overthinking it. Maybe Peter wasn't a thoughtful man, I don't know. He was just a faithful man. He looked at Jesus and he didn't think about the situation. He looked at Jesus and said, can I have a go? Everyone else thought about it. And sometimes in life, when you look at your situation, you look at how it's gone before, you look at the people around you, you start thinking it and overthinking it, and you find yourself thinking of all the reasons why it won't work. That's humanity. That's what we do. 
But Jesus is saying, stop overthinking it. Stop being negative. Stop asking why, 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 and just respond in faith. And when you respond in faith, miracles are going to happen. But we need to respond. There's There's something on our part for all this. You may not feel as full of faith as Peter. You may not feel as brave as the lame man to stand up. You may feel just like Gideon. But I know this. My God wants to love you into a place of faith. With God, it's possible. One more story. I talked to you about Rahab. I'm not going to bring her story, um, much of her story up. It's in Joshua 2. And we find Rahab in a season where the Israelite people are about to come and take over Jericho. God has said, you can have the city of Jericho. Jericho had massive walls. My understanding is they're about 20 meters wide. So much so that people had flats in the walls. That's how big these walls are. And you've got the Israelite army walking around these 20 meter deep walls. It might even be more than that. It might be 100 actually. Anyway, it's massive. They used to have chariot races around the top of these walls. They are massive walls. And, and Rahab um, lives in these walls. And uh, so the spies went in from the, from the Israelite army just to check out what Jericho looked like. And they came back and they said, you know, they're really well organized. It's an impenetrable wall. I don't know what we're going to do. But in the midst of going there, they bumped into Rahab. And Rahab was a prostitute. And she lived in the walls. And they had a conversation with her, and it went something like this, that, you know, if, if you will help us right now, we will remember you. And when God comes with us and we take this city, if you help us, we will help you. And she had a moment right there of, do you want to be well? You had an opportunity to look at your past. I'm a prostitute. How could God use me? Look at my past and my history. What could, uh, difference could I make? She had a moment where she could have gone there, but she didn't do that. She said she agreed with the faith of the guys in Israel and says, your God's going to do something. I want to be on your team. And I had this conversation here in, in Joshua 2, verses 17 and 18. Now the men, these are the spies. Now the men said to her, this oath you made us uh, swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. So here's what happens. They say to her, we're about to attack and God is with us and we're going to win. But if you save us as we are trying to escape right now and you let us down outside of your window, which is in the wall, remember, here's a scarlet cord, it's a red cord. If you tie that on your window, we will see it. And it will be a sign to us that you're in that place and we will protect you. And so it's exactly what happens. Rahab gets her family into the flat. She ties the red cord on. Israel comes around. You might know the story, but God being God doesn't do it the ordinary way. You've got this massive, impenetrable wall. So how do they beat it? Trumpets. (laughs) The obvious way, always knock down a wall with trumpets. So they walk around once a day in silence. And on the seventh day, they walk around it seven times. And on the seventh time, God says, blow your trumpets. Stupid. Overthinking people will look at that and go, what on earth? Blowing a trumpet. Have you seen the size of this wall? Walking around it in silence. This is a stupid plan, Joshua. I feel like a right mug. But no, no, they don't think like that because they've got the mind of Christ. They say, my God is with me. And if he's telling me to do that, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to do it in faith. So they walk around. And on the seventh time, Joshua says, blow your trumpets. They all blow the trumpets and the walls just fall down. And there's such confusion in Jericho. They're all looking at each other that they freak out. And they start killing each other in all the confusion. And so without lifting a finger, they take Jericho. See, that's my God. 
So you can overthink it. What have I got to offer? I don't know if you've got a trumpet, but start blowing it. I don't know what you've got, but start using it. Because God can do amazing things that seem impossible to you when you just agree with him in faith. But here's the thing about Rahab. Everything crumbles. They all start killing each other. The Israelite army come in and finish everyone off. And they see the scarlet cord. They go, there's that woman. God's got his hand on that woman. You see, God looked at her and he didn't see her history. He saw her heart. And so often, guys, we look at our history and think that discounts us. But God's not worried about your history. He can, he can cope with your history. There is nothing you have done or thought or said that God can't cope with. He's all right with it. But if you'll agree in faith with a great heart, he'll give you a great future. Because he loves you. And the scarlet cord, and all through the Old Testament, you'll see shadows of Jesus. And the scarlet cord is ultimately representing the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus went to a cross, and he looked at you, and he looked at you, and he looked at you, and he says, I love you. You see, the things that are going wrong in your life are separating you from my father. But I'm not going to let you worry about that. I'm going to worry about that. And I hang on a cross and shed my blood. And when you say yes to Jesus, when you say thank you, Jesus, it's exactly the same as Rahab hanging out the scarlet cord. When God looks down at humanity, he doesn't just see you or you or you. He sees the blood of Jesus. It's the red. And he's like, oh, they're all right. Oh, but I've got a terrible history. doesn't bother me. I see your heart. You've got the scarlet cord on your life. You've got the blood of Jesus on your life. You see, that means not guilty. Every one of us, at the end of it all, will stand before God. The whole planet is going to stand before God. Whether they agree with it or they don't agree with it, it's going to happen. We're going to stand before God. But do you know the difference for me and for you? We're going to stand before God covered in the blood of Jesus. Not literally pasted on, but God can see it because it's in your heart. And do you know what he says? Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. It doesn't matter about your history. It matters about your heart. He says, not guilty. Can you see the picture in the scarlet cord? It was there for a reason. And she was saved in the whole episode there. So my challenge to us, as we kind of round up what God's doing here, is what are you going to do? How are you going to answer the same question as the lame man? Do you want to get well? Do you want to carry on living in the comfort zone, experiencing the same thing? And if, that's your, if the answer to that is yes, go for it. But Actually, if you believe there's a better future for you, we need to start standing up. Can you think differently? Can your faith be stirred? Can you stop your history from holding you back? Will you take a step? Will you ask a question? Will you do something to break your norm? Because I believe it really is your turn. But it's also your choice. I, I had a picture. Just to round this up, maybe a keyboard man can come. I don't know if any of you have listened to uh, Jermaine play the keyboard, but the man's epic. He has just got something going on. No pressure. But, um, <laughs> how funny if he hears a bum note right now. <laughs> See, the anointing's coming. Come on, let me invite you to close your eyes. All jokes aside, come on. It's your turn. It's my turn. It's our turn as a church. It's your business's turn. It's your family's turn. It's your children's turn. Come on, get the heart of the Father. He wants it to be your turn. Will you agree with him? Will you stop looking back? Will you stop overthinking it? Will you stop being negative? Will you stop holding yourself? Take that thought captive and give it to Christ. It's time to be well. It's time to win that thing you fought for years. It's now. 
Let me stir your faith. I had this picture of approaching these massive, like a shop front with great big glass doors. And they were like really thick glass doors and the, the shop was locked. But inside the shop were all the things we're hoping for. They were in this shop and they were there. And whatever it is you're dreaming for and hoping for right now, you could see it through the window. It was there, but you couldn't get it. You could see it, but you couldn't get it. Massive, great big thick glass doors that slid. And you're like, oh, it's so frustrating. But God said, take a step. Take a step. And in this picture that God gave me, it was people stood up and just took a step towards the doors and nothing happened and took another step towards the doors and another step towards the doors. They were getting so close that you could really see the thing you'd been hoping for. And then you took one more step and suddenly realized it was an automatic door. And you didn't do anything but take a step. But the door detected you'd take a step and it opened without you doing anything. And suddenly, all of those things you dreamed of and hoped for, for you and your family and your children and the next generation and the church and this town, this nation and the world were right there in front of you. And all you did was take a step. And I believe that God's in this meeting right now, and I'll speak to anyone who might listen by podcast. I believe God is with you right now. And his challenge to you is, will you take a step? Will you do something that's out of your comfort zone? Will you do something different in faith? Say, God, I'm having a go. The lame guy in John chapter 5 looked at Jesus and said, I'm prepared to have a go. And his feeble, weak legs just started to move. And he probably shook and stammered all over the place, but he had a go. And he left that place and never went back. I believe, church, whatever it is your dream is, that you can leave that place and never go back that's become your comfort zone in an unhealthy way. It's your turn. Will you take your turn? Now, I don't want to miss this moment. I don't want to rush it. I want it to be something that's a moment for you personally that says, Jesus, I'm putting a marker in the sand. We're going to sing the song that we sang earlier about the God of victory. I want you to take, as we sing that, I want you to take in your thought life, your prayer life to God, to saying, God, this is me. This is what I'm hoping for. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting you. I challenge myself to take a step. Let's have a moment as we worship in this, and then we're going to do some ministry.